So when I was a kid, one of my first memories of my dad is that the guy loved making mixtapes. You, you, you could say that it was his jam. And it, no? Okay. He, he really liked mixtapes. He loved making them. And for those of you who don't know what a mixtape is, mixtape is an 80s person version of an iTunes playlist. So, but the, these things were much harder to make. If anybody here has ever made one, I, I can remember watching him for hours as he would sit there with his double tape deck and his like, you know, Rhythmics and CCR and Paul Abdul and whoever in, in one side and then in the other, he would have his blank tape where he would pull off his, his favorite songs and, and mix them up onto this tape, hence the mixtape. And I couldn't wait until I was older, so because I wanted to make a mixtape too. I remember thinking that was the coolest thing, taking, you know, these these imperfect albums and building them into ones that I loved. You guys ever, you guys like doing that? You like your playlists? Maybe get a good one for working out or something like that, get you all jazzed up. Maybe one, what's that? Yeah, maybe a good, a good worship one, maybe, or something. Or if you're a student wanting to concentrate and focus, get a good, I like classical music for that. But when I was thinking about making these mixtapes, the reason why some of these albums weren't perfect is because, you know, especially when you had tapes or records, you would have, you'd have the B-side, right? The B-side of the album where they would typically put the bad songs that would sort of fill out the album. But I think it was Kung Fu Fighting that was one of the first, you know, everybody was Kung Fu Fighting. That song was a B-side, but it was super cool when it came out. And so that was shocking a little bit that you could actually have a B-side song that people enjoyed. But nevertheless, when we take these B-songs out, we want to we wanna take out things that we don't necessarily like. We want to pull out some of the filler. But I know now B-sides are getting played out. They're not as... Uh, Prevalent, but usually there's some songs on albums that we don't like or that we want to get rid of. And we can do this with other things, I think, too, right? If we don't, we don't like personality traits. We can, we could try to remove those. We don't, we read a story or, or we think of things like that. We want to cut some of those aspects out of it. Or in other words, we like to try to change things in order to suit our purposes or, or to make it so we like it. Historically, people have also done this with their, with their gods. There's a, an interesting writer, Greek philosopher from the 7th century BC. His name is Xenophanes. He's in the all-name team. And he writes, but mortals suppose that gods are born. They wear their own clothes and have a voice and a body. Ethiopians say that their gods are snub-nosed and black, where the Thracians say that they are blue-eyed and red-haired. Perhaps Sarah would be one of the Thracian goddesses. But if horses or oxen or lions had hands, or could draw with their hands and accomplish such works as men, horses would draw the fingers of their gods as similar to horses, and the oxen as similar to oxen. Does that sound familiar to you a little bit? Maybe 
You might have heard it like this. When people in our context discussing who they think God is, they might say, I think God is energy. And the purpose of God is to bring oneness or bring us into oneness with the universe. Maybe you've heard that before. Or you've heard, I don't believe in one God. I think there's lots of gods, and they all serve different purposes or different roles in the universe. This is how I see God. Or the God that I worship wouldn't do this thing or that thing that I don't like. I I worship a God of love, they might say, and, and this God of love would never do this or that bad thing. Or maybe even in the the church we might say, you know, I really, really like the God of the New Testament, but I'm not so sure about that guy in the Old Testament, so I'm going to kind of push that off to the side. It's really easy for us to ignore what we don't like, but there's a problem here, and I hope you can see it, If we sit in a room and we all say our different versions of God, we we can't all be right, can we? We can we can all be wrong, but we can't all be right. And there's there's a reason for that. It's the the L word. It's logic. Two contradictory statements can't both be true in the same sense at the same time. Two contradictory statements can't both be true in the same sense at the same time. Logic. For instance, I mentioned my dad before, and most of you here have never met him. But if I were to take a poll and ask you to give me some characteristics, say his hair color, his age, and how tall he is, just to to guess, I would probably have a number of different guesses as to what my dad is, how he is. But then if I told you that he's 71, hair is probably a little on the grayer side now than it used to be, it used to be brown, and that he's a hair under six feet tall, probably no one would guess that. But would that change who my dad is? No. Because my dad is who he is. If my dad can have this set of characteristics about him that make him who he is, and and these are non-negotiable, then why sometimes do we think that we can do that with God? That we can make him up how we want? If he has characteristics, I think some of the questions we would ask him then is, is, what characteristics would we adopt? Would he be loving or would he be, you know, hateful? Would he be distant? Would he be imminent? Would he be stern? Would he be flexible? And this God that we make up, this mixtape God, what or who is to say what he's going to be like? One question I would have for him or be curious about is what does this God think about evil? Because we deal with things like that in our lives. Evil comes up, whether no matter your, your religious affiliation, your, your shade of skin color, old, not so old. We can all agree that the world is full of evil. Just this week we saw in the news there's another shooting, mass shooting, down in the States. 
And if we think that, that it's just the states that has gun problems, in the town that Sarah and I moved from recently, this week, there was a police officer in Abbotsford that was shot and killed. Or when Sarah and I even moved here, we knew that there was going to be some changes when we came to Ontario, but we weren't prepared for what we came home to the other night. As we walked into our back door into the basement, we started to go up the stairs and we encountered two of these seemingly only in Ontario hairy centipedes that move like lightning. These things are disgusting. I like, And they're like trying to catch a greased pig, but brothers and sisters... I will have you know that wherever toilets send their victims, that is where these centipedes now are, in their watery grave. But seriously, though, there's, there's things in this life that are just evil. Yesterday, we, as a nation, we recognized a day set aside to honor people, men and women, who have served to fight against evil and who continue to do that. And speaking of anniversaries, uh, 10 years ago, a week ago from today, was a personal anniversary of mine, and that was when I made a decision to walk away from the life that I was leading, a life of, as most of you know, hardcore drug use, alcoholism, crime, darkness, self-inflicted pain, all of those things... Ten years in one week. And in fact, today is a ten-year anniversary that I first walked into a church and didn't burst into flames, as I, as I like to joke. And, and in fact, my, my first pastor, Trent, is, is here. And if it wasn't for him, probably wouldn't uh, be here. So thanks, man. It's cool that you happen to be here today. But I asked God for help, and he answered because that, that's the, the kind of business he's in, right? And now I'm going to show you my cards. I, as it, as it pertains to evil, I think God hates evil a lot. I think that the, the God that we find when we read the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, exists. He's real. I've, I've experienced him. And he set me free. And I think he, his plan is to punish evil. The Israelites, though, they weren't always so sure, I think, when they were in the middle of things, just as sometimes we can be, when tough things were going on. It's difficult. A few weeks ago, Lou was preaching on the prophet Habakkuk, and Habakkuk asked this question, how long, O Lord, do we have to wait before you're going to do something about this evil? And this is a common, common question. So today, as we continue our series on the 12 prophets, we're going to be in Nahum. So if you want to turn there, we're going to be in the first chapter. It's just at the very end of the Old Testament, so you can hit the new and just go back a couple books. And at first glance, this is a bleak, bleak little book. There's not a lot of things to be joyful about at first glance. Partly because it shows a different side of God's character than we're used to talking about. And when I say different, it doesn't really jive with the, with the God of love narrative that we often talk about in the churches. Because typically in our society, 
when we use the word love, we use it in such a way that it kind of turns God into a big teddy bear, right? Or, 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 or a homeboy or something like that. This is the direction that it often goes. Or even a mixtape, right? God's displeasure, though, that we find in Nam would be this a so-called B-side characteristic, maybe, for some of us who are putting together our, our God. It probably wouldn't make the playlist that some of us want to create. But we're going to see something really, really cool today, and, and that's this. And it's here's our, our major point, and it's real simple, and we say it all the time. But this is something that we really want to get handles on because this has implications that invade or should invade all aspects of our theology, and it should help us when we encounter difficult times. And that's this, just three words. God is good. God is good. So because of that, he's not going to tolerate evil. He's going to punish it. That's going to be the way it goes. This so-called B-side characteristic of his is, it's actually something to be happy about because it, it serves a purpose that all of us, and when I say all of us, I'm not just talking to those of us who, who call ourselves Christians. This is something that everybody can be excited about, and that's justice. Don't we all want to see justice done? Don't we want to see evil punished when wrong things happen to us? Anybody ever been cut off in the parking lot at Walmart and you're just, right? Like, maybe not quite like that, but you know what I'm saying? It's, this is what we yearn for and this is what this characteristic helps us know is going to happen. So the passage that we're looking at, I love this. This is called, listen to this, this is called the, the hymn to the divine warrior. The hymn to the divine warrior. Isn't that awesome? So, and this is a God who fights for, for not only what is right, but fights for his people. Verse 1. A prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. And we're going to learn a couple of things here about our passage. First is, it's written by Nahum. And Nahum, we, like most of the 12 prophets, we know really nothing about uh, though we know his name means comfort. And so when we look at this book, there's a theme that goes through as we read through the, these 12 prophets. Often the name of the prophet is, is like a key that unlocks some perspective of the book. And so when we look at a book like this, there's supposed to be comfort. And the reason why there needs to be comfort is the second thing we learn from this beginning is this is a, uh, a book concerning Nineveh. As Jim talked about last week, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and Assyria was the overlord of Israel. They had them in subjugation, and they had, they had not treated them very well, to put it lightly. And it had been going on for some time. Verse 2. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. Uh, as most of you know, I'm from BC and I love going for walks 
in BC. It's, I try to wander through the trails here when I'm walking here to get that, that outdoorsy feel. But you gotta be careful when you're walking around in, in, in BC, particularly in the backwoods and, and stuff like that. Uh, there's some ferocious raccoons here and a, a lot of squirrels that sometimes there's a lot of them and I'm, I'm wondering what they could do in a team, but. Uh, and a couple of years ago, I was walking down a path in, in BC and I came around a corner and I came face to face with a goose. <laughs> and this goose wasn't alone, my friends. This was a, a dad goose and he had his wife and his little kids with him and he was giving me one of these and, <laughs> you know, hissing at me like, you better step back, buddy, right? Everybody get behind me. I got this guy. Because he, he wasn't having me getting close to his family. I know probably I set it up a little bit. Maybe you're going to say that I walked around the corner and seen like a mountain lion. I'd never actually seen one in real life. YouTube videos, though. Uh, or a bear. I've seen lots of bears, but not one with cubs necessarily. But there's, there's something true about that because we all know that parents, good parents, fight for their children. They want to protect their children because they're important to them. They will do anything for them. And so when we read in this verse that Lord is jealous and avenging, he's not randomly, you know, like ex-boyfriend loser in the corner of a party jealous Guy, right? This is, you're messing with my people. Guy. You're messing with my kids. Because Assyria, for a while, had been subjugating them. They, they had enslaved the Israelites. And though God allowed it for a time to serve a, to serve a purpose, the lesson was over and God said, enough is enough. It's funny, though, sometimes if we put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites, we might think, well, I could ask you this question. Wouldn't you want to be the ones to to get back at, at the Israelites? Because it says, or get back at the, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, because it says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But Or maybe we're too spiritual for that, right? We, uh, we, we don't have that going on in our hearts. But at any rate, God's saying... It doesn't matter. He's saying, no, I, I got this. I got this. Because he's good. Verse 3. Or the first half of it anyway. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. So as I said, God had allowed Assyria to, to do this for a little while. He had allowed them to... Essentially, Israel, if we want to look at this in really simplistic terms for all you parents out there, Israel was in the timeout chair, in a sense, and God was using this as a lesson. But the lesson was over, and God's patience was up. Because sometimes when we read this, we look at this and go, hey man, God, the guy's got a pretty short fuse, hey? Like, you know, just mess with his people and he's just gonna pop off and, but that's not the case. 
It was at least 100 years that they were enslaved, and some scholars say it could have been as high as 400 years that they were experiencing enslavement, brutal torture, murder, that whole thing at the hands of their oppressors. God had given them plenty of time to repent. We, we listened to uh, Dale a couple of weeks ago talk about Jonah. And in Jonah, he went to the Assyrians and said, Hey guys, what you're doing is no good. You need to stop it. And they said, Oh, you know, we didn't really realize that enslaving people was that bad of an idea, right? So, you know, and they, they cut it out, at least for a short period of time. But then they went right back to it. And so God said, All right. Enough's enough. Because he's not going to let the guilty go unpunished. And he's certainly powerful enough to accomplish that, even though the Assyrians were looked at as pretty bad dudes and dudettes at the time. Second half of verse 3, his way, so God's way, is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. Man, picture that. He just... The weather has nothing on him. For he rebukes the sea and he dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. You can sort of picture that crossing the Red Sea here in his extreme power. Bashan and Carmel wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. Never been to Lebanon, but they're always known to have, uh, at least in the biblical text, wonderful, beautiful trees. Bashan and Carmel were known for its livestock and incredible opulent nature where people would take from and, and he says, well, even that is going to fade in comparison to the power of God. And they're like, well, that's like grass and stuff like that. Like, couldn't he do anything better? Verse 5, the mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence. The world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? The answer is no one. Who can endure his fierce anger? Again, no one. His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. God is powerful. But there is good news. The story doesn't end there. It's not this horror story where we're supposed to be freaked out and not think that there's any hope or anything at the end. Verse 7, the Lord is good. God is good. He's a refuge in times of trouble. And that's the understatement of the year. If you are Israel and under the Assyrians, he cares for those who trust him. But... With an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Nineveh had an opportunity to get on board, and they they chose not to. They chose their path away. But God is good. We, We need to let that roll around in our heads a little bit, because we just read these tough things, might assault our 
sensibilities, yet he is good. He's a refuge in times of trouble. For a minute, I want you to put yourselves in the Israelites' shoes. And you're in the midst of, and I know tons of us, we go through this. This is life, our own Assyrian captivity. But this was, albeit quite a bit, this is terrible. I can't even explain that. So put yourself in their shoes and, and ask this question, God, do you even care about us? I think this is, that's the obvious question when you're in the middle of it. Or if you're even Israel again in the 30s and 40s with the gypsies and whoever else wasn't deemed good enough to continue in the human race. Or the Ukrainians under Stalin or the Tutsis at the hands of the Hutus. The list goes on and on and on of people, whole groups of people enslaved by others. Where is God in all of that? I don't know if many of you have seen this. There's a series called uh, Daredevil on Netflix. And in uh, season one, two of the characters, Matt and Karen, are sitting there and they're talking. And uh, they're discussing Fisk, who's the evil overlord who'd been brutalizing the city in, in hardcore ways. And Matt starts off, he asks her, he says, Karen, are you religious? And she's like, well, my, my parents were, so that's why I'm probably not. You? And he says, so I'm, I'm Catholic. She says, well, does it help? Does it help with things like this? And he says, well, you know, not, not today. Not today. I think I've, I think I've had enough. And she says, well, yeah, well, hey, Matt. He says, yeah. She says, well, if there is a, if there is a God, and if he cares at all about, about any of us, Fisk is, he's gonna get what he deserves. You gotta believe that, right? Don't you? And Matt says, I do. I believe that. Do you guys believe that? Do you, do you believe that? God cares about you and he cares about the things that happen to you. That he cares about the Israelites and, and their captivity and, and all of these different things that happen to people each and every day. Do you think he cares about that? And that there will be absolution. Do you think that there will be a reckoning? Because what happens when we see bad things happen and seemingly go unpunished because we yearn for justice? Can we trust God to do that? Here's another question. Why would God even allow the evil to happen in the first place? Right? We see things happen. Why, why is this happening, God? And I have an answer for you. Uh, not everyone may agree with this, but it's worked for me uh, in explaining things. And I, I think that God allows evil, first of all, because we're free creatures. And we make decisions imperfectly. And a lot of us choose wrong. We're, we're bent, I think, as people. I, I believe in the, in the fall of, of humanity and 
that we're bent towards destruction and then left to our own devices. We make terrible decisions sometimes, and this results in evil. But somehow God uses this, uses these evil actions for his glory. So he allows it for his glory and our good. There's a old Chinese proverb, and it goes a little something like this. So Eve perk up. There's a, a farmer and his and his family, and they they have this beautiful wild stallion in the home. And, and one day the stallion runs away, and the neighbors are like, "Oh no! Ah, oh, your stallion! It ran away! What terrible, terrible luck!" And the the owner says, "Well, you know, maybe yes, maybe no." We'll see. A couple days later, the stallion comes back. But he's not alone. He brings with him three wild mares. And the neighbors are like, oh, this is awesome. Not only did your stallion come back, but he bought three awesome mares. This is great. What good luck. And the owner says, well, maybe yes, maybe no. Like, we'll see. A few days later, his son is out in one of the paddocks with the, one of the wild mares trying to break her, and she kicks him and breaks his leg, and he goes down, and the neighbors are like, oh, man, what bad luck, your son with the mare and the leg, that's, oh, that's just so, that's too bad. But a few weeks go by, and the, the National Army is coming through, and they're taking conscriptions to go in and, and take all the able-bodied young men to war. And the neighbors are like, oh, this is awesome. Your boy broke his leg. What amazing luck. He doesn't have to go. And the, the father says, well, maybe yes, maybe no. We'll see. Do, 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 you, see the, do you see the message there? It's like, sometimes when we're right in the middle of something, these things, these events happen, and they can happen pretty fast and furious in our lives, but it's difficult to tell at that moment to make a judgment whether or not this thing that's happening that's maybe absolutely incredible or gut-wrenchingly brutal has an ultimate goodness to it. It's so hard for us to see that. So I have to ask myself this question. When bad things happen to me, do I start to shake my fist at the air at God instantaneously and just, you know, be tossed around with my fortune? Or do I wait and see how things are going to go? How do you guys deal with that? Can you see the danger of trying to put God in a box? You see that? Uh, but our, our mixtape lives, right? We, we have our, our mixtape social media profiles with our, our mixtape relationships and mixtape food choices with our mixtape entertainment choices or mixtape lifestyle choices. And don't get me started on our mixtape ethical choices, right? What's good for you is good for you, but what's good for me is good for me. We even have our mixtape Bibles. Did you know that Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers of the United States, he had his Bible and he didn't like what he always read in it, so he started cutting out the parts that he didn't find reasonable and made his own Bible. And before we laugh, before we laugh, 
We're, we can all do this. We can all do this. Maybe not with scissors, but with our minds. Do you know that in some of our personal Bibles, like this much or more, it's not in it. Because we don't read it. And we don't think it's true. It's really easy to push aside things that we don't like. Things that assault our sensibilities. This, brothers and sisters, is why. One of the many, many reasons why. But why we need Jesus. Because Jesus didn't, and God didn't leave us to our own devices having to try to figure out who God is or to create a mixtape God on our own. No, Jesus, God came to us and introduced us to him and proclaimed who God is through his life, death, and resurrection. In his life, he lived proclaiming God and his kingdom come in his death. He proclaimed God's plan for reconciliation with his people and in his resurrection this just told us that he's legit. Not awesome. And Jesus pointed to the Old Testament as a means of knowing God. And so when we read Nam as I read Nam, I'm confronted with a God who's mad, who's really mad, but justifiably. So we need Nam because we need to understand who God is, because God is about goodness and salvation, yes, but also about judgment. And justice. Nineveh's evil required God's judgment because God justly decided that that was needed. God is good. So how does this apply to us? Well, first, I think we need to address our own hearts. We need to think about what goes on in, in our own hearts. And I know a lot of us are going to say, well, hey, Chris, I'm... Uh, it's not like I'm an Assyrian, right? It's not like I'm this or that person. And I say, okay, well, that's that's fine, I, you know. But there's there's a, there's a lot of distance between the the Assyria that we read about in the, in the Bible here and and Jesus, right? There's a whole lot of room between that, and tons of it isn't good. Tons of it's not good room. So before we start comparing ourselves to other people. Because, I mean, hey, I hope no one here is enslaving entire races. But but what if you're just belittling your wife? What if you're just mocking a classmate? Right? What if you're disrespecting husband or boyfriend or friend? Like, does none of that need to be turned away from? We need to get honest and, and, and quit telling ourselves sometimes that we're okay because we're not as bad as name our favorite bad person. Next, if ultimately punishing evil then is God's, what's then what's our role? Right? We're, we're not in charge of vengeance. That's God's got that. What's what's our role? Because remember this: the B side characteristic is something to be happy about. This B side characteristic, uh, because it serves to do something that we all want to see, 
and that's justice, but it also frees us to not have to worry and constantly think about other people getting theirs. We don't have to dwell on that because God's got that. The Apostle Paul, he lived a life of violence against people and he was fighting in his mind a holy war against folks. And he thought he was doing the right thing. Uh, That is until he met God personally and everything changed. He's one of my one of my favorite Bible heroes because I uh, I can relate to that. And after meeting God, he in a number of years being a leader in the church, he wrote this, and it's in Romans chapter twelve. You can go there if you want, but if not, you can just listen to what I have to say, or what Paul I should say has to say. And this is this is what he's talking about: what the church's job, what's, what this is this is our role. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, but cling, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Brothers and sisters, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and by all means practice hospitality. Yeah. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, but mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another, but don't be proud. Don't be unwilling to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Please don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Because he's good, right? It is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. But on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Does that sound like something you can get behind? Someone you can get behind? Ten years ago, I, I made a choice to to follow after this God. And if you haven't already, you have that choice as well because you, you do have a choice. You have choice in front of you. You can choose to trust God because he's good or, or, or not trust him and, and walk away from him. And I, brothers and sisters, I can give you a lot of good reasons why trusting him is not a bad choice. It's a really, really good one. You can choose to believe that he's good and he wants the best for you. And this is what we should be doing with each other, right? Like, life is better like that, more peaceable, when we purposely seek to see the best in people. I want you to imagine a world that that has people leaving this ultimate judgment and and leaving the vengeance to the one who is good and, and can do it perfectly. 
and instead focus on treating people fairly, mercifully, and with faithfulness. Can you, can you imagine that world? Let's dream about that together. Let's pray. God, thank you for today again, and thank you for your word. We, we thank you that you're not made in our image. Get excited.